Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, just feeling July, leaving mm. that top button unbuttoned, <laughs> letting the summer air hit him. You going to do some grilling? Uh, you know, I hadn't considered it, but today's the day, man. That's that, That's a good thing to do, I think. Yeah, today is the day. That's my good buddy, uh, Cameron McCoy. Dude, here's what you got to do. First of all, if you want to get that grill look, sunglasses, white tee, right? I'm expect. yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Some jeans. I expect the Rolex mm. on one hand and the very sophisticated <laughs> beverage in the other hand. Uh-huh, uh-huh. While you're holding the spatula, right? I can do that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just... Go to your closet money. Now, I'm expecting a vintage Rolex. Like, don't buy a new one, Cameron. Oh, no. We're talking, like, post-CBS buyout or what? I don't know. <laughs> CBS. I don't know. What? CBS could own us right now. We don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, instead of hurtling towards dystopia, let's talk about Magic the Gathering, Cameron. Uh, new set. We are in this weird position where we haven't played it in paper. It comes out next week. Yeah. But it came out arena like a week and a half early or something. I don't understand. Whatever. Here we are, dude. Talk to me about the Forgotten Realms. Uh, this might be the set that I was least prepared for in the history of our podcast. Um, oh, wow. I mean, I've seen some of the spoiled cards, but like I was kind of completely off the radar when it came to um, most, if not the vast majority of these cards. So, uh, you know, open up Magic Arena on Thursday, and lo and behold, right there's D&D set. Let's go ahead and draft it, right? And I will say the initial draft, the first one, and we're talking like this was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I felt overwhelmed and lost because there is so much text on these cards and most of the time when there's that much text it's like i have to read every single one and when i'm not familiar with the set i mean yeah da, 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 i was like super overwhelmed with that first draft experience not really fully realizing that it's all flavor it's good flavor i i, I mean i don't hate it uh but it threw me for a loop the first time i saw that because i thought i had to like know 50 mechanics you know and like all these different things and not really it's just like return target permanent or choose choose one of these two options right so uh for to the be most clear part, you're talking about the flavor keywords the flavor keywords i'm sorry yeah 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 um so it, it it threw me off at first but diving in playing the first draft round what a refreshing experience it's been great to find something new and different in arena and man am i more than welcome, come please. I want this right now. It, it was great. Uh, I played a blue white list, um, and it had like a lot of the dungeon mechanics, which I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a mind flare, which was just a blowout every single time it, it resolved, um, and a demolich, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about, but like some of these like really good cards, um, in tandem together, it just felt like a really refreshing set. Um, I don't feel like I really have a good grasp yet as far as, like, these are the colors that you should be playing, this is the most over-the-top powerful pick that you should be doing, anything like that. 
uh, it was just welcome refresh as far as just my, my first draft experience. So I've probably drafted it seven times now. Holy something. cow, dude. And I played one sealed pool. I, I had... I kind of got into this thing where I did the mastery pass, which I think came with like two draft tokens and one sealed token. <coughs> and I did the sealed token and I opened a sealed pool that was touched by the hand of God. Cameron. <laughs> I It might be the best sealed pool I've ever owned or ever opened. I went like seven and oh, and I did it inside of like an hour. Wow. I opened... The black red deck. So I had, there's an uncommon that creates a treasure token. And then whenever you pop it, that creature, I had two of those. I had some number of the black removal spells. And there's a six mana demon that whenever you draw a card and said you exile it, and then you can pay and then draw that, draw those cards that are exiled underneath them. And so, uh, and he's also like a six mana, six, six demon. And so, uh, I mean, anyway, it was just one of those. And so that gave me kind of this, massive amount of gems to play with and like learn to draft plus the three draft tokens or two draft tokens, whatever. So I've had a lot of kind of like a uh, bank to work with. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to some kind of early success. Um, and here's my big criticism. I thought Strixhaven draft was interesting and fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't mm. love it. I ended up doing it a lot just to find something new. But I, I think I mentioned this before. I really felt like the mystical archives kind of poisoned the well mm. in that set because there were times where you got Mizzix Mastery uh, and it was like, okay, well, cool. Or they hit you with, I, I always use this as an example. In one game, a guy bolted one of my creatures and then followed it up with an Electrolyze. And it was like, cool. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's got these uh, non-rotating format level playable cards and I'm playing a three mana two three. Um, yep. Cool. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, I've been on the giving end of those things too. But there was also just this these moments of like somebody cast a gross spiral or an agonizing remorse, and it's just like I've I'm so tired of these cards, and I like I can't even escape them in a limited thing. So there was this weird psychological thing with Strixhaven where I just was done playing against certain things, and you know, like it or not, the guild sets they tend to wear out their welcome maybe a little bit faster because you're just like, oh, I've got this version of the guild deck and I'm going to be fine or whatever. Anyway, so with Forgotten Realms, I'd actually been following the set probably quite a bit more closely than you. So the, <laughs> um, the <laughs> massive amount of text didn't bug me, which I would say is very D&D &D appropriate. Sure, right? yeah. <laughs> but um, here's what I like about this set. I feel like every color combination is playable, right? And I haven't felt that way in a while. The other thing I would say about this in terms of limited is you can come from behind to win or lose in this in this format more than anyone that I can think of since like Rise of the Eldrazi or something. Because hmm. you are you find yourself in combat a lot. Yeah. Like a lot more than other limited sets. And so Combat math matters, double blocking, you know, combat tricks matter a lot more. And so basically you're playing a lot more on the battlefield magic than you were in Strixhaven and some of the sets before. I didn't play a lot of Kaldheim Limited, so I, I don't want to speak to that. Um, and so that's what makes it really interesting. The thing that I would say is, you know, we're, we're going to 
talk about some of these cards, but there's a few rares that are just like, okay. Mm-hmm. The Black Planeswalker specifically, I've played against that like two times now, and it feels just stone cold unbeatable, even when you're way ahead. Um, so there are these kind of bomby rares that just blow you out like massively. Um, but yeah, dude, I, I think every color combo is pretty good. I, uh, um, I find that the dice rolling mechanic is, I guess this is probably not a surprise is my least favorite thing about it. (laughs) Um, it doesn't really because, so you're, they're kind of stuck, right? Because if they make the dice rolls matter a ton, Mm. then it just feels like, oh man, we're in variance land and this stinks. But then sometimes you're just like, like there's a there's a four mana three three flyer that you scry, and it's like every time I roll it, it's like I don't even care. Like, am I scrying one? Am I scrying two? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, and I've tried to build the dice rolling matters deck, and in my experience, that's been the worst, most dirtily deck. Um, the dungeon deck, the dungeon stuff though, I think is a really fun limited mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe it won't play as well in paper, but I don't know what your experience has been. In digital, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, it's actually easier to keep track of, um, at least digitally, than I thought it was going to be. Um, And so I think in paper, it will translate fairly easily, and I like that mechanic. Totally agree with you about the uh, dice rolling mechanic. I think it's way too much. Like It's not what I like about magic is when there's a coin flip involved. Like That's my least favorite aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. and I just don't want a mechanic dedicated to that. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's been a couple times where I've been like straight up blown out by a dice roll, but almost every other time it's just like, okay, they get two treasures versus one. That's a, a better thing to happen to them. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, I've had, I've had guys like my opponents have completed two full dungeons and I was still able to beat them because I was on like a stompy green thing. And so what I love about this set is the advantages are so incremental, but they're not, they can't overcome you making a massive mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I, it's been a while, man. Like, I think this <laughs> has a lot in common with Rise of the Eldrazi draft, which is my all time favorite draft format. And that had bombers too. That did. But, like, man, you can, I mean, you could have an amazing mythic dragon. And I can have an uncommon dragon and beat you, right? Like, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. just there's just a lot of play there. Um, I don't I don't know if this is better than Dominaria Draft, which I think for a lot of people is the gold standard. Um, I really liked Eldritch Moon, like randomly uh, draft, but I don't know, man. Like, I am like into this. That's great. I'm very, I'm very excited to see how it translates in paper. I mean, the other thing I would mention here is like to me the D and D stuff outside of the dice rolling isn't like super duper in my face where I find it distracting after the flavor word thing. Did you kind of like, are you good with it? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean like that was like just an initial, like whatever I got myself into. But after that it's magic, the gathering, the mechanics that they have, I think are super fun. I agree with you. Dungeons is, I think the surprise hit for me as far as like the enjoyment I'm getting out of that. Um, yeah, and I, I like a lot of the creatures, and like you said, creature magic. It's uh, it, battlefield really matters, and I like that. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of big booties, basically. Like yeah. blue has a two five guy and an O four wall that ventures into the you know, and so and a lot of this stuff happens at sorcery speed. So you have to actually think about mm-hmm. when to do it. Last thing I would mention here before we get into because 
middle segment, I want to just highlight some cards that we think are going to see a ton of constructed play. But it's it's starting to feel a lot more like standard of years long ago. Once we get Eldraine and uh, oh gosh, what's the the companion Icoria out the door? Whew. I like if you just look at Kaldheim Strixhaven in this set, it feels like it's going to be a return to this really mid rangey, like on the battlefield complex magic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there are good cards like Showdown on the Skulls and stuff like that, but there's nothing that I'm like. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, I know there's cues for, they call it 2022 standard. Have you seen this? <laughs> I haven't. So on but... Arena, yeah, so on Arena, you can play <laughs> 2022 standard and give it a shot. And apparently, in that format, the Venture into the Dungeon deck is good enough for constructed play. <laughs> Which there's zero chance it is right now. Like, right. you are not venturing into the dungeon <laughs> against rogues. So, hey, let's get out of the segment, come back, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Demi Lich and all these. All right, Cameron. So, just a few uh, cards to talk about uh, from the Forgotten Realms. I think the Manlands are kind of a slam dunk and really oh, yeah. not worth discussing. Like, hey, they're going to be played in standard. They're all really pretty good. Um, but I'm interested. So you've actually played with Demulich. I had it in a pool or I'm sorry, I drafted it, but I was like lots of white cards and a few blue cards. So I, you know, I wasn't able to make the mana like work. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I'm interested in your thoughts and playing with this card, um, and where you see it down the road. Go for it. So I had this in my draft pool. Um, and I mean, my draft deck obviously wasn't really designed specifically with this card in mind but after just playing with it and just seeing what i could do with just one activation or one cast from an instant of sorcery um i my brain just started going nuts as far as like where are we going to see this so demolich cost four blue and with power and toughness of four three so each uh source instant or sorcery you uh, cast cost one less for Demolich, and then when it attacks, exile target uh, instant of sorcery from your graveyard, copy it, you may cast the copy. So essentially a snapcaster effect. And then you may cast ga- uh, Demolich from your graveyard by exiling four instant of sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs. So there's some recurrence there. Just everything with this card, it just feels like it, it will find a place... I'm sure people are going to try playing this in Legacy. Um, I'm definitely going to be playing this in, I think, like the Blue-Red Phoenix deck. I think that there's a real place for Demolich to exist there as well uh, with Brainstorm Opt. Like, I mean, all of a sudden you have a, you know, a two-mana 4-3, which is huge, right? Um, so overall, really like this card. I think it's it's... I don't know if it's here to stay, but the effects are just incredibly powerful for what it does. Yeah, and what's interesting is it actually exists in this weird tension with Loris because you can't play both. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of live in this world of, okay, if I'm blue, if I'm Grixis spells or, you know, you know, Delver Grixis spells, Grixis Delver, whatever, I can't play this Dimulich. However. Um, maybe this exists more in a mid-range, uh, like 
context. Maybe, I, maybe mid-range is the wrong expression. But instead of like this hyper-fast tempo blue that we think of with like Sprite Dragon or Dragon Rage Channeler in Modern, maybe this is more of a what you and I think of as traditional legacy Delver. Mm. Where maybe you just play this Delver Snapcaster Mage and a lot of instants and sorceries. Maybe Murktide region as well, which is the new mm. Modern Horizons dragon. So, however, there is also a lot of tension with like, okay, how many things can I exile from my yard? Right? Faithless looting doesn't exist in Modern anymore. So, uh, you're leaning really hard on Thought Scour and Opt, and maybe that's just not enough. Um, but let's say you never do do any of this stuff, right? Like you never have to worry about actually exiling a card. Like mm -hmm. I think it does it anyway when you attack, but let's just say that's a non, you're just playing a 4-3 for free. I mean, Hollywood's shown us in the past that that's a pretty acceptable place to be. For sure, yeah. Right? So what a weird card. <laughs> it's weird. Like, I, it really had to spend some time molding my brain around like, what does the 60 look like with this, right? Am I crazy in thinking there's probably no way it's in standard? Uh, especially with, I, I don't know, maybe post, I, I don't know, maybe in some sort of rogues deck, maybe you could find something, but like you might be only netting value by one, right? I, I don't know. Rogues is a place where I might want to try it, but also you're doing something completely different than rogues and that's probably a better spot for it anyway. Right. So, yeah. And yeah. you're not playing like a, like maybe historic rogues because you're playing like more like my turn yeah. stuff. Whereas standard rogues tends to be a lot more counterspell oriented. Sure. Um, but like maybe also, cause I, I don't know. Prismari command exists. It seems like it would play pretty nice with this because, because you're getting a treasure theoretically, you're, able to reduce the cost by two just by playing a Prismarian command. Yeah. Um, so I don't, it, it's interesting, right? But yeah. the idea of like playing a Prismari command, getting this out and then being able to rebuy the Prismari command next turn, it's probably standard pretty good. Yeah. You know, not busted wide open. Um, speaking of standard, uh, is this Emirith? This is how I read this. Dude, you yes, Emirates. It's an I. <laughs> like the font on the title is like uh, it's that classic. Is it a lower? Is it an L? Is it an I? Mm -hmm. What am I looking at? Um, anyway, so hey, uh, you were you were Dragon Lord Ojutai fan back in the day, right? Oh, love me some Ojutai, yeah. Uh, so this is a three blue blue for a five five legendary dragon. He's got flying, and as long as he's untapped, he has Ward four. Um, whenever. It deals combat damage to a player. Draw a card. Then, if you have fewer than three cards in your hand, draw cards equal to the difference. So, again, of standards past, this would be the goal for a control deck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, right now, we're kind of living in emergent ultimatum land, and that's just, you know, there are engines. Like, this would also be... Hot garbage against rogues. Mystical dispute is still in the format. So maybe this is a post rotation, but like, dude, this has just got blue black control written all over it, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What I do mean, you think? Everything, I mean, like, it's got a lot going for it. Everything from the art. Like, I love the artwork of this. This is like heavy metal 
101 for me. Uh, yeah, and then, like you said, like, this is Dragon Lord Ojitai in maybe a new standard. I really feel like this is something that Control will want to try to play. Um, protection, Ward 4, like the wards, I really like that mechanic. I'm surprised at how much I like that mechanic. I'm glad to see that they're bringing it back again. Um, yeah, and drawing cards is not bad, so... Um, this is a solid B plus right now. Yeah, so they've officially said Ward is replacing Hexproof. Which, thank you, thank you. Yeah. A clear upgrade. Um, which, by the way, this card also, like, I guess is seeing some play in the current Blue-Red Dragon, which, depending on who you talk to, is like the third or fourth best standard deck. So, like, usually they play as a one or two of, it's like, you know... Goldspan Dragon is the front man, and this this one's just playing bass. You know, no offense, bass players out there. You I'm need just a saying. Solid rhythm section, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Why don't you read for us this this Planeswalker? Lolf Spider Queen. <laughs> yeah. uh, whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lolf. Uh, zero. You draw a card and you lose one life. Minus three, create two two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach, and then minus eight. You get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost eight, lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. Um, yeah, like this is like one of those classic Liliana Dreadhorde general sort of cards. I like a lot of what's happening on it. Getting to that five is not completely difficult and it's going to be a solid mid-range in abzan maybe uh like a blue black control blue black mid-range that sort of thing like there's not a lot to hate about this it's just kind of like one of those planeswalkers that you're going to see a one or two of down the road and lose games too <laughs> so yeah so this is the one that i i i find unbelievably obnoxious and limited mm. um and here's what it is dude like we've seen this time and time again any planeswalker that creates two of anything yeah two of anything is really good and theoretically how this will typically play out is like they play two spiders they might draw a card so with this one thing because unless you have a kill target planeswalker they're going to get another activation out of it. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you're not attacking through these spiders. So, if they just create two spiders and draw one card, that is an incredible value for five mana. Mm -hmm. um, the, the it getting loyalty when creatures die thing is incredibly obnoxious. Incredibly obnoxious. And we've seen things like that before with, like, Garrick's that are quite a bit more mana, and they're producing a thing right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or they're like you know seven man but this is a five mana planeswalker yeah and i this is one that i saw early on and i was like eh, okay and then i played against it multiple times in limited and i was like yikes mm -hmm. okay value. yeah yeah and and like honestly when you're let's say you've got that dragon that we just previously talked about like how are you getting through this card no it cannot kill it but it's just stop like it just creates this loop that stops it over and over again and it's super obnoxious um 
All right, last one that I want to talk that we have to talk about that was quite the buzz in the shop when I played Modern last night. Um, Book of Exalted Deeds. Okay, so this is a legendary artifact, and it's three white, or white, white, white. I should say. At the beginning of your instep, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 white angel creature token with flying. Three white tap. Exile the Book of Exalted Deeds. Put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains. You can't lose the game and your opponent can't win the game. Activate this only as a sorcery. So essentially, it turns something into platinum angel. Where this has become a, quote, combo, is you play this in mono white life gain with Faithless Haven. So, it with six mana, if your opponent cannot interact with you, essentially, you let Faithless Haven stop being a creature. It maintains the counter, and unless they have a way to kill the land, they cannot win. Now, the other thing I would mention is, it is entirely possible for both players to do this. And apparently, on Arena, this has not been accounted for, and basically, both players just have to sit there until somebody decides to uh, resign. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they need to have a, this is a draw thing, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but outside of that, I guess this is another thing, Like, because Heliod's certainly still standard legal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you think of this card, man? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gives the life gain deck um, just another avenue to do what it does. And I think, yeah, it's it's going to fit snugly into that life gain deck. Um other than that, yeah, it, it's fine. Like, I mean, the I'm really having a, a moment of panic here thinking, like, when games are just locked out and I just don't want to sit there. You know, like, I, I will be the first one to fold. I will so- tell you that. Time is way too valuable to me. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe the changeling thing needs to be gone. I, I don't love the mechanic. It ends up be acting more like a gotcha mm-hmm. than a, oh, hey, I can put this in my elves deck too. That's not what typically occurs. And um, I, I would really like to see them just say, hey, if this becomes a thing that's pronounced enough to errata it to where the counter has to fall off Faithless Haven after it's like it no longer becomes that afterwards or something like that mm-hmm. um because or it has to say uh, counter on target angel for as long as it's a creature it can stay on or something like just a rat of the stupid card so we yep. don't have to deal with that yep um but as a life gain artifact like i don't have a problem with soul sisters and standard like that could be interesting um all right cameron we're gonna get out of the segment so we're in the weird position of you finishing a marvel movie but me not mm. not yet anyway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we'll talk about it right uh, right after we come back All right, Cameron, so I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on Black Widow. My wife and I made the decision we're actually going to go see this at the movie theater. Nice. Good. So uh, I thought you would be happy slash proud. And, uh, you know, making you happy is my primary objective in life. That's all I care about. Yeah. 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 So uh, let's hear your quick spoiler-free, for the listeners out there, Mm -hmm. review. Mm -hmm. What do you think, man? Uh, refreshing to see a Marvel property in the theater. 
I have not watched Loki, but both Captain America and WandaVision to a lesser extent. I appreciated what WandaVision was trying to do. It's just nice to go see a popcorn flick that is Marvel, two and a half hours, done and done. I don't have to like sit there on a weekly basis and keep track. Uh, this is where I'm a movie guy more than I am a TV guy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Black Widow, solid movie. I would not say it's like the best Marvel movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't feel like they give Scarlett Johansson's character that much to do. You know, she was kind of like this, sadly, a, a sexual object in Iron Man 2, and they kind of, they I think they used her appropriately, but like I've just never been that interested in her character or her romantic interests in the films. And while they do allow her to kind of grow and breathe, um, it's her sister that actually really steals the show. And like, I think she is like actually the stronger character of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked her character. Um, The end, classic Marvel, a little too much, uh, big, big action for me. Um, But, you know, it, it sits right there as far as being a Jason Bourne movie in the Marvel universe. So it's those two types of things. That's the world that we live in. Um, and it's, uh, it's totally fine. Like it's not going to knock your socks off, but it was refreshing to go and see in the theater. Sweet. Yeah. Mm. I feel like there's a constant, like, I really am happy that Marvel stuff exists and that it's successful and that it's in the zeitgeist. Like, it would have been, again, unthinkable to me 15 years ago that they would have said, hey, there's going to be a Black Widow movie, a character that has basically had trouble holding on to a regular comic series, mm-hmm. right? And so on that, on one hand, that's a great thing. There is a lot, we've, we've kind of gotten so far down the well that like, yes, there are multiple interpretations that vary greatly of what Black Widow is um, throughout time in the comics and all this. But I kind of feel this way about Loki, which I've watched a couple episodes as well, is they've really let the actors, and I would suspect this has started with Robert Downey Jr., really mold what not only how the character acts on the screen, but the direction in which they want to take them. Mm-hmm. And often these characters are very toned down uh, in terms of especially their violent nature. And I would argue that's a thing like, Black Widow in the movies, it kind of strikes you as weird as like, why is this character? There's like Hulk and Thor and then a lady with a gun. Yep. (laughs) And and so, whereas in the comics, she's so incredibly dangerous. I mean, Hawkeye is kind of in this like realm too, like really dangerous Mm -hmm. and a lot more cutthroat than someone like Thor, right? So while you would argue Thor is this more powerful character, like, you know, Black Widow is incredibly, incredibly ruthless and dangerous and like a literal killing machine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There's like an issue of Ultimates where she kills like an entire building of aliens, mm-hmm. like one at a time. Right. And so there's just that stuff that they've kind of toned out. And she's, you know, she does like a Lucha Libre move and snaps a guy's neck and stuff. And it's like, yep. yep. Where. <laughs> Where what she is, I think, is way more in line with, like, John Wick, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and so, well, I mean, and I, I could go down this rabbit hole with Loki, too. Well, I'm not even remotely current on the series. Like I said, I watched two episodes, and it's like, 
I feel like they've just made this massive concession to say, you know, this actor's so likable. Yeah, we really so like the actor, right? Yeah. yeah, we really like him. So let's just make Loki like a super fun guy to watch. And it's like, Loki is incredibly scary. Or yeah. it has been in the past in the comics, right? And we are also talking about someone that tried to invade Earth and conquer it in yeah. the first movie. <laughs> and we've just constantly been turning that knob uh, down. He's, so, he's lovable. <laughs> but he's funny. He's so funny. And it's like, hey, you know, that's fine. And that's that's their interpretation of these characters. And sure. it's no more or less valid. Um, and I would say I'm much more fine with it than what they've done with characters like the Joker, which has just been, uh, you know, a... <laughs> a horrible attempt at a tone piece or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go see it. So I just want to mention what I've been reading um, super quick. And I don't think I've talked about this on the show. Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. Okay. So this is a fantasy novel and it came out, I want to say about a month and a half ago. Uh, and here it is. Uh, This guy's been around for a while. I think he's written a couple series now. But this is a fantasy novel that does the POV thing that George R. R. Martin does. However, it is set extremely in a fantasy Viking world. Mm. Okay? And so to the point where they use, you know, Nordic words quite a bit. They describe the weapons and all this. But just think of fantasy Vikings. There's magical creatures. There's all that stuff but we are in a cold North Viking environment, right? And you kind of follow three characters. And what really is great about this book is I think a lot of fantasy has gone in this direction where they're improving upon the the pace problems that somebody like Robert Jordan sure. or Terry Goodkind had, where it was like, we would like to sell you multiple phone books over the course of this decade. That's not what's happening anymore. So this one is is strongly paced, not nearly as strongly paced as Rage of Dragons. But um, it's really strong, like the descriptions, like it is not a dialogue, snappy dialogue kind of thing. It is much more like you're meant to feel the environment Mm. of it. So clearly this person plays a lot of role playing games, like pen and paper role playing. Um, But just the, the tone of it is so cool and interesting. The other thing I would mention is like, you know, through my various research, I found out that this guy is a medieval weapons reenactor, and that very much comes across in the way in which he describes the violence and talks about the violence. I would say, again, keeping with a lot of modern fantasy novels, the violence is much more realistically rendered um, than a lot of the kind of older fantasy novels from the 80s and 90s. Hmm. Um, But it is a super strong um, fantasy novel. Um, I'm a little past halfway through it, and I would recommend it. Like I, I just think it's and it, it's got really good buzz out on the internet. The audiobook is also really good. So I, it, I would not be shocked if it's already a bestseller. But it's it's real good. Awesome. So Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. Uh, if you also the cover sick big dragon looking at a guy, you know if you're into heavy metal, I would recommend it. Right. <laughs> um, all right, Cameron. If someone would like to uh, find you. And talk to you about their favorite heavy metal covers. Where would they? Where would they find you? Uh, they can do that on Twitter and give me the order of Dio albums if we're going to go that direction. So, <laughs> dude, Dio, Dio, there are some Dio songs 
that are just like a heavy, like they are a fantasy novel within the song. Like Holy Diver, that is yeah, a man. fantasy yeah, novel man. in one song. It's amazing. Uh, love you, Dio. Anyway, I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week.